0: Hi everyone, I'm Jason Scorse and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great. So finally, I'm going to kind of pivot back to some larger issues that I've wanted to address for a while. And I'm going to take a break from the headlines and the madness of modern American politics. But this topic is a different form of madness. It's actually one that is more systemic, deep-rooted, and global. And so the title here is Disentangling Ourselves from the Horrors of the Modern Food System. And I want to underscore horror. Because that's what it is. And so I've been meaning to do an episode on the modern food system, specifically the animal industrial complex, for a while, given that I focus a lot of my work on it. And also, over the last few months, I've had numerous conversations with intelligent, well-meaning people, where once the topic comes up, many of them fall into all sorts of twisted and confused logic. So I really wanted to take a moment to go through the issue in a systemic way. I'm not going to claim to be doing anything particularly novel here in the sense that there are many books and great philosophers that have done this, but I think what I will add is kind of a comprehensive synthesis of the issues that are not necessarily covered always in one place. And also, I'm going to try to add a lens to it that might be a little different Than some of, you know, some of the people who who are famous for this, you know, a Peter Singer, the moral philosopher, I'm going to add a little different lens on this. So look, the reality is, is that there is no topic that gets people more defensive than talking about diet and food and what people eat, even more than religion in many ways. Right. There's something about food that hits a nerve with people. So I'm going to break this discussion into a few sections. And before I get started, I want to say that one refrain that people make as a means of deflection on this topic is to point out the other horrible things in the world. They'll say, look, you know, animals are important and, you know, farm systems horrible. What about child labor or human trafficking or plastics in the ocean or climate change? Now, as I'll mention, a lot of these are actually directly related to the food system. But, but let's just put that aside for a second and just I want to say right out that this discuss, discussion doesn't and should not preclude thinking and caring about other issues. I believe deeply in the cause of animal welfare and rights and also many other issues. And I think this notion that it's a zero sum game, that if I care about pigs and chickens, I'm not going to care about you know, child trafficking is both wrong ethically and practically. The reality is is that caring about one thing doesn't lead people to care less about other things, but it actually makes people care more generally. Someone who is open to caring about immigrants and refugees is also likely to care more about the plight of LGBTQ people and even animals. Caring and compassion are like muscles. If you work them out, they grow, right? So it's not a zero-sum game. In fact, it's the opposite. You know, as someone who tries to be caring and compassionate, I'm happy if people show me areas where I might have moral blind spots. I'm sure I have moral blind spots. That I'm things that I'm unaware of, that I do, that are negatively impacting, you know, other humans or non-humans. And I welcome that information. That's not an affront to my moral, you know, reality. As a moral person, I want to know if I have some blind spots. I want to know if there's some products I'm using that there's alternatives out there that are better and that I should, you know, consider, right? So this discussion is about one major industry. It's a huge industry. It's the global food system. It's something every single human is engaged with multiple times a day, right? But I'm not claiming that this is the only issue of moral consequence in the world because it's clearly not. What I am claiming is that it is a major issue of moral consequence and that it should be. And with that out of the way, let me get to this kind of overview of the topic. First off, I'm only going to rely on facts and reason to make these arguments. I'm not going to bring in anything you know, from religion or anything pseudo-spiritual. Not that those are bad, but they're just not necessary for this argument. Everything I'm going to be talking about is going to be rooted in things that are verifiable based on science and objective reality, and to the extent that they require some axiomatic principles, I'll talk about that as well. But no faith is required. This entire argument requires no faith, no believing in something without evidence. So I want to start with the basic moral arguments and then move on to kind of the environmental consequences. And then finally, you know, where do we end up? I'm going to have an extended antidote section on what do we do with this? What are the practical ramifications of this worldview that I'm espousing here, right? So before I start with the specifics of kind of the animal industrial complex and the food system and the mistreatment and use of animals in that, I just want to make a few statements about morality, because again, there's oftentimes a lot of confusion, right? First off, there is no moral system that will be agreed upon by every single human being on the planet. That sounds obvious when you think about it, but it's worth stating, right? Because if the requirement for universal moral principles is that everyone has to agree on it, then we would never have any moral principles because there is nothing to get all 8 billion people to agree on, right? There are plenty of nihilists, sociopaths, and contrarians in our species who will never agree to anything that others do. And this is in every society, every culture. I also want to make clear that morality is not a popularity contest. There are plenty of moments in our history, including today, where majorities think things are okay to do that are not okay to do, whether it was historically, what was the mistreatment of women, or slavery, or the subjugation of certain religions and races, right? Um, There's plenty of times where the majority is engaged and totally fine with immoral acts, right? So if you say 80% of people believe X, Y, or Z, that says nothing about whether it's moral. It says it's popular. It doesn't say whether it's moral. Popular and moral are not the same thing. Now, this makes things very tricky because if something is truly moral and it's truly, you know, clearly a moral principle, shouldn't everyone agree on it? That would be nice. That would be great. But it's impractical. So the best we can do is come up with systems of logic and reason that everyone should agree with. But the reality is that not everyone is moral, not everyone wants to be moral, and not everyone has the discipline to even aspire to be moral. So even something as heinous as child trafficking clearly doesn't have 100% opposition since many people still partake in it. Same thing with many horrible types of behavior across the board. We simply must accept that there are bad actors among our species and many people who either lazy or confused or unethical, and that's part of the human condition. This doesn't mean that the search for morality and moral principles is futile, only that it will never be agreed upon by 100% of the population. All right? So that's kind of my first key thing about morality, is that it's never going to have unanimity. The second point about morality, and this is perhaps even more important, is that at some level there are axiomatic assumptions that have to be made. Right? there are, You have to just assume some basic reality, and then once you do that, you can form a moral kind of architecture on that. So, for example, with respect to human rights, the assumption is all humans have moral worth, right? All humans have moral worth. That seems reasonable at face value, but the reality is not everyone agrees with that. There are plenty of people, in fact, many millions or hundreds of millions of people who think that certain races or religions are worth more or less than others, who think that you know less intelligent or poorer or weaker people are worth less? There absolutely is not unanimity that you know all humans are have, have equal moral worth. In fact, that's probably not even agreed on, you know, by large swaths of the population. Yet we still have human rights, the concept, right? So the fact that we don't have unanimity doesn't mean we can't still have the concept. It's more an aspiration than something that's agreed on by everyone right? So human rights rights rest on this proposition that everyone who is a member of the human species and has the capacity for a wide range of emotions and feelings deserves dignity and respect, right? This speaks to a, a follow-up point, which says that morality can't be arbitrary, right? We can't say only left-handed humans have moral worth. We can't say only the people I like have moral worth. We can't say only the people in my country have moral worth. Those are arbitrary distinctions, right? The fact that some human is born on one side of a political border or not, that they're a different color of skin, that they're not in your immediate circle. Those are arbitrary distinctions that have nothing to do with their humanity, right? So morality cannot rest on arbitrary distinctions. It has to aspire to universal principles, right? So morality is not about simple preferences, But it's an attempt to create universality, right, that can be consistently applied across the entire population or large populations, right? So, right after the break, I'm going to come back to a discussion of how moral principles can and should be applied to non-human animals in a consistent and scientifically defensive manner.
1: Salamita! saw we izal on a vegan we vegan. I and I eat from the earth. I need the animals to give birth. No as no, no fur, feathers, no, feathers. no feathers. When I tell people I don't eat meat, fish or dairy, Then look at me strangely. No feathers, then I realize I eat no a feathers. very wide variety. Listen to Maccabee. Yo, how when me eat them, I wonder where me eat. When me tell them say me no eat no fish, There's no no meat. Now, how when me eat them, I wonder where me damn. When we mean, me tell them say that I'm a vegan.
0: Okay. So the foundation for animal rights and welfare and the moral principles that accompany them are pretty straightforward and they're based on a few key points. So the first, humans are animals. We are primates. We may be very powerful and advanced, but we are still animals. We are part of the evolutionary continuum and share most of our DNA with chimps and other primates and in fact other mammals. Many other animals are, therefore, our cousins, as we only branched off from much larger pools of DNA a few million years ago, right? So that's just the first thing to really kind of grok here, right? Non-human animals are our cousins. They are our evolutionary cousins. We come from the same source. We share the same DNA lineage, okay? So that's, again, science fact. Therefore... The distinction between humans and animals, as if they are two disparate things, is false. There are only human animals and non-human animals. This is incredibly important to let this sink in. Because we have been trained cognitively and linguistically to speak of and think of humans as distinct, as separate from animals. And often when we we when people say animals they specifically mean non-humans. That doesn't make sense. Saying humans and then animals doesn't make sense because humans are animals. Right? So again, this distinction that we have been lodged into our brain that somehow we are at the top of some pyramid and we are separate and a gorilla, a tiger, a whale is something completely different and we are in this separate, higher category. This is scientifically false. It does not exist. It is a cognitive, mental structure we have created to feel superior and to justify our exploitation of other beings, but it is not based on objective fact. In fact, it is the opposite. It is false, right? Many of these non-human animals share the characteristics and sensations that we value in ourselves. Namely, the ability to feel pleasure and pain, form social bonds, develop culture and society, use tools, sing, dance, etc. Right? It is important here to note that many of the ways humans have rationalized our mistreatment and abuse of non-human animals is by denying them many of these traits, Right? to say, oh, they can't do this, they can't do that, only we can do that, until the scientific evidence becomes so overwhelming, and then this does, the denial takes a new form, until once again, the evidence overturns it. Right? Non-human animals were once thought to not be able to feel pain, that they couldn't learn language, that they couldn't use tools. They were thought to not have long-term memories. They were thought not to be able to mourn for lost family members. We thought that they couldn't recognize themselves in a mirror. Only humans can do that. And time after time after time, this is proven wrong. It is proven wrong again and again. We are not as distinct as we think, right? Of course, we have some incredible abilities. And there are definitely things that we can do that other animals can't, like you know, write Shakespeare or envision a world 1,000 years into the future. So I'm not saying that every animal is identical and shares all of our characteristics, but many of them they do. And even the ones that we can do that they can't, it's not just only a one-way street. Think of the things animals can do or many animals can do. Fly, swim in the ocean, echolocate, right? Think of the the, the consciousness that arises from being a whale swimming thousands of miles, migration patterns, going across the ocean thousands of miles to the exact same place and, and finding it perfectly every time, butterflies, birds that migrate over continents, right? Imagine being a bat and echolocating for your food, all the different senses. These are things we can't comprehend, right? So it's not a one-way street, not everything advanced in the in the animal kingdom or animal kingdom is is coming from humans, right? We absolutely have some very powerful characteristics that has allowed us to become the dominant species. But this does not separate us, right? And it does not make us morally superior. Now, go moving on. It is important, right, to understand that the ability to feel pleasure and pain is really the key issue here. Most of our morality applied to humans revolve around these axes. If someone causes another person pain, we say this is bad, and in extreme cases, evil. Right. The level of our disapprobation is directly correlated to the levels of suffering. Right. We give people a small slap on the wrist for a minor a- offense, and we give people hard jail time for stabbing someone in their chest. Right. This is common sense that just about every human accepts, and it forms the basis of From most of our legal systems in the world, right? And this leads us directly to the case for animal rights and animal welfare as part of a larger moral framework. Since non-human animals share many of our traits, they are our genetic cousins who we evolved from and with and who can experience degrees of pleasure and pain very similar to ours since their nervous systems are very similar, again, a scientific fact, they should then be afforded a significant amount of respect and dignity that we demand for our fellow humans. The reasoning here is simple. If we are affording rights to A and B turns out to be very similar to A, we too should extend those rights to B to at least some extent. A being humans, B being non-humans. In order to refuse to make this leap, people say, no, 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 you've made a leap here. You know, I believe humans have rights, but nothing else has a right. You would basically have to argue that human animals are the only species on the planet deserving of moral consideration. And no matter how close other animals are to us, they don't deserve any inclusion in our moral calculus. One can make this claim, but it is quite astounding and extreme. And I will argue next that even those people who profess to believe it don't really believe it in practice. Before I get, get to that, I just want to do a thought experiment that will kind of Open this up a little. Let's take an alien example, right? An alien species comes down to planet Earth, right? And it's much more powerful than us. And this alien species reasons that since we are not the same as them, we have no moral worth and they can torture and butcher us at will, right? We would, How would we look at that? If an alien species came and said, you're not us, we can do whatever the hell we want to, we would look at that species as monstrously evil, Right, We would say, don't they realize the suffering they're inflicting on us? Yes, we're not as powerful as them, but don't they grant us some moral worth? Don't they take our interest into consideration at all? How can they do this to us? How can they do this to a sentient species like us who has such a capacity for pleasure and pain and suffering? Even though we're less powerful than them, how can they do this? This is wrong. How can they not recognize that we deserve some dignity? Well, now I ask you, Imagine how a pig or a chicken or a cow or a monkey in a lab thinks about us. Right? People who believe that only the most powerful species, you know, has the right to dignity and respect, and that it had the most powerful species has the right to subjugate and brutalize less powerful species. You are subscribing then to a morality of might makes right. If you can do something, it's okay for you to do it. I will argue that's the opposite of morality, and that is a recipe for brutality and oppression in every way, right? The only way to say humans are the only ones with moral worth is a might-makes-right argument. We have the power to do it. We only have responsibility to our own species, so we can do whatever the hell we want to everything else, right? The reality is only a very small sliver of humanity actually believes this, and they are true sociopaths. Right, to believe that only humans have dignity and nothing else does, we can do whatever we want, anything else, that's true sociopaths. And most of those people actually don't care about humans that much either. So let's go on a little kind of diversion here and talk about pets and intrinsic worth and arbitrariness. Virtually no one on this planet thinks that what we do to pigs and chickens in factory farms and cows is acceptable to be done to cats and dogs. Except for those societies that do eat dogs and treat them brutally like we treat pigs. And then people who are in societies where we value dogs, we're horrified by this. We go, oh my God, I can't believe they brutalized dogs. Right? Dogs are humans' best friend. However, it just exposes the hypocrisy. I'm glad people don't want to brutalize dogs. But pigs are just as smart or even smarter than dogs and feel as much pleasure as pain. So how can you condemn a society that brutalizes dogs while you're eating bacon? Doesn't make any sense, right? If you're outraged that anyone could treat a dog like livestock, but you feel doing the same to a pig is okay, that's the definition of arbitrary. And what we just concluded is that morality can't be arbitrary. You can't just say, well, I like dogs, but I don't like pigs. Even though they feel the same amount of pleasure and pain, I just like dogs and I don't like pigs, so fuck the pigs, right? That's not morality. That's just arbitrariness, and morality can't be arbitrary. A more kind of extreme example. We can't say rape is bad and then say, well, only raping women in that country is bad, but not in this country. Or only raping my female friends is bad, but raping other women is okay. Either rape is bad or it isn't. Right. There is no realm in which human reasoning is more arbitrary than with respect to non-human animals that we eat, wear and exploit. And this arbitrariness has created a horror show for all living beings. It's worse for the animals in our food system, but it's also horrible for the ecosystems and our own health. Right. I'm not going to get into the details of the torture and abuse that are inflicted on most of the over 80 Three billion terrestrial animals that are raised in slaughter every year because it's traumatizing And even think about it. And this doesn't include all the fish that are killed and the whales and sea lions and sharks and turtles that are killed getting the fish. It doesn't include all the wolves that are killed and the mountain lions that are killed because to protect subsidized cattle ranchers, right? I've been an animal rights welfare advocate for over 30 years and I can't stomach the images and descriptions of one have done to animals around the world. It's a moral abomination and something for which we as a species should be deeply ashamed. It's one of the greatest stains on the human race and one that if we do not um, end and we do not stop, I think it really makes our moral worth plummet to zero. I want to state absolutely clearly that if you gave me a choice between a world in which we continued to brutalize tens of million of animals a year indefinitely, right? We're never going to stop. Or one where our species went extinct, I would choose extinction, right? A species that is just going to go over brutalizing century after century forever isn't a species that deserves to to survive. That's why I'm doing that podcast because I want us to change so that we deserve to exist for a long period of time and maybe go and populate other solar systems, I want to kind of just end this section on a thought experiment here. Right? I can't prove this point. So, this is one of the things that I'll say that is not based on objective fact. It's a it's a, a thought experiment, but I think it has validity, and I'm, you know, you'll be the judge. If you add up all the suffering of those 83 billion animals that we are torture and kill in our food system, then you add up all the animals that we kill in the ocean. Then you add add up all the animals we kill for for leather and for medicine and for sport, right? You just add up all the brutalization of non-humans. Then you add all the brutalization we do to each other. You add up all the war and the slavery and the rape, right? This is not a fun thought experiment, but you add all that up. I want to make the argument that I think is true, that at this moment in history, That is the most amount of suffering and brutality that has ever existed in the four billion years of Earth's history at any one moment. The Earth has suffered mass extinctions, you know, asteroids and massive things like that. But those are over a long period of time, right? The dinosaurs then died off over time as their food supplies ran out, etc. I think you can make a pretty strong case that the amount of suffering we have created Not from natural forces outside our control, but that we have done systematically. If you took the aggregate of that, that's the most amount of suffering the earth has ever experienced at a current moment in four billion years. Right? Let that sink in. Right? Is that our fucking legacy? To be the most brutal species in the history of the planet earth? Right? If that's our legacy, then clearly we don't need. Or deserve to survive. We should go extinct and let something else take our place because that is not a legacy that is worth preserving. That's why I'm trying to get us to change so that we become good stewards of the earth and become upstanding moral citizens of the planet and maybe one day of the larger solar system, universe, galaxy, whatever. I hope that we live long and prosper for millions, billions of years, but not in this current Debased, abominable moral state. So, when I come back after the break, I'm going to talk about the environmental sustainability impacts of the current food system.
1: Deciding new world crisis. Yeah I Yeah Cause if we keep this pace of breeding Just for the production of meat Then it's the same thing as we would suggest the world pollution No matter how them a try and a push me now Me still not eat no meat No No matter how Babylon try to make me do it Me going go eat no meat
0: Okay, so I've kind of started with the morality here of the current food system, and I want to move on to kind of the environmental impacts of the animal industrial complex. And again, the reason that I'm focusing on this is that This is really the the heart of the modern food system. Most of the resources in the world go to either growing food for animals or for, you know, directly raising the animals on land. And this is just a key fact. Basic ecology, basic math here is if you skip a trophic level, you lose about 90% of efficiency. So what does that mean? We can grow plants and eat the plants or we can grow the plants, feed them to animals and eat the animals. That extra step, you lose about 90% of the efficiency. So about two-thirds of all the agricultural land in the world is devoted to either growing crops for animals or directly, again, clearing land to graze animals. That means if we get away from animals as the center of the food system, we will have a huge opportunity to rewild the planet, return it to its natural state, to restore ecosystems. That's the world that I'm working for, right? Let's restore the world's ecosystems. Let's bring back wild species, okay? And I'll talk about more about the dynamics of this, but this is incredibly important. And what I'm referring to here, and when I talk about industrial animal agriculture, is the concentrated you know, feeding operations, the CAFOs, concentrated animal feeding operations. I think that's the, um, the acronym here. This accounts for about 99% of the meat and dairy produced in the United States and about 90% globally. So the majority of meat and dairy that people consume every in the world comes from the industrial animal complex. I am not talking about a couple, you know, herders in Africa with a couple cows. I'm not talking about the person who has a couple chickens in their backyard for eggs. I'm talking about, you know, the people who are getting their meat from Costco and from fast food, and from supermarkets, you know, the industrial-scale meat and dairy production, right? These operations are some of the worst and most heinous operations in the world. I think, in many ways, it's even more destructive than fossil fuels, and it uses a lot of fossil fuels. It is a horrible, evil industry that I would put on par with the tobacco industry, the gun industry, the fossil fuel industry, the kind of international weapons industry. It's on that level. The notion that this industry gets any respect as kind of like a pillar of our food system is just a myth. It's an evil, toxic industry. So let me go through just some of the key dimensions here. Water. Again, you, since animals take so much water for their life cycle, huge amounts of water raised growing animals for food. Even the most water-intensive crops like almonds are more efficient on water than drinking cow's milk. So you keep hearing about how you know, much water almonds use. If you drink almond milk instead of cow's milk, you're doing better for the environment. If you're doing soy or oats, you're doing way better. So again, huge water waste. And this is important. We're having water scarcity all over the world. Most of water goes to animal agriculture. It doesn't go to grow lettuce. It goes to grow cows and for pigs and chickens and lambs. Huge waste. Again, I already mentioned the land use, right? Most of the deforestation in the most biodiverse, rich places in the world, in the Amazon, is for cattle. It's for beef. You want to protect the rainforest? You want to protect wild ecosystems? Then we have to end the industrial animal agriculture system. Biodiversity. We have wiped out almost all the biodiversity on the planet. If you add up the biomass of humans and livestock, it is 98% of all the terrestrial mammal biomass. The last 2% is all the gorillas, lions, deer, wolves. 98% is humans plus livestock. We have just wiped out almost all the wild species and replaced them with animals that we torture for food and then ourselves. Greenhouse gas emissions. About a third of the globe's greenhouse gas emissions is in the agriculture system, and most of that is from meat and dairy, right? Because it's so labor and land and energy intensive, and because you have to refrigerate the products. You don't have to refrigerate lentils, you have to refrigerate milk, right? Huge, huge greenhouse gas impact. So if we're going to deal with the climate emergency, we can't do it with the current food system. Then we can add in waste, right? All the livestock produces 10 times as much sewage and, and you know, fecal matter as all the sewage of the eight billion people. Ten times the equivalent sewage of 80 billion people. Where does that waste end up? It ends up just you know getting in, in hot climates. It ends up turning into dust and going into air. You know if you go check out North Carolina pig farms and uh, environmental racism there. They have huge lagoons of pig feces that they then spray onto poor African communities. If you think I'm making this up, go look it up for yourself. In 2023, in America, we are spraying pig shit on poor black people so that people can have cheap bacon in the United States. Just let that sink in, right? Let that sink in. Then, of course, it goes into the waterways, the groundwater, the surface water. We're just literally polluting the world with shit from the animals we raise so we can have fucking bacon and chicken McNuggets and burgers. It's a toxic sludge. It's this, And of course, it's full of antibiotics and all the chemicals that we feed these animals because they get incredibly sick in these horrible conditions. So we just pump them with drugs that then, of course, end up in the environment. And antibiotic resistance is a real big deal, right? If we get antibiotic bacteria... You know um, that antibiotic-resistant bacteria that could be a huge health emergency, and it's already starting to be. Then add on the new, the next dimension: pandemic risk. Right? Those of you know that the COVID, that you know, um, virus likely came from a wet market in Wuhan, China. Right? Most of our pandemic risks come from animal, either wild animals that we capture and sell in markets, but also you've probably heard of swine flu, avian flu. These are from factory farms where these animals are in such tight confinements that they spread disease quickly. And if these jump to humans, this is going to make COVID look like a mild cough. You know, the really most virulent avian and swine flus could kill a billion people. They, could, they have death rates of, you know, up to 50 percent. Right. So it's not a question of if, but when. In this toxic animal industrial complex, one of these diseases is going to jump. You're not getting pandemic from broccoli. You're not getting pandemics from soybeans. It's from animals and from the way that we exploit wild animals and the way we keep um, factory farm animals in these incredibly dense, unhealthy conditions. So to summarize here. If one were tasked with devising a maximally destructive system of environmental devastation, toxicity, disease, and cruelty, it would be next to impossible to create something worse than the modern animal industrial complex that sits at the center of the modern global food system. It is truly a horror show on every dimension. Fortunately, there are much more efficient and sustainable ways to produce protein and calories some of which already exist and others which are in development. So that's what I'm going to turn to for this extended antidote after the break, where we try to see how we can disentangle ourselves from the horrors of this system.
1: You know that health is wealth and vital is vital. They're not just some rhyming words. It's something that's just got to be heard. Who is responsible for your health? Look in the mirror, it's your very own self. You can't rely on nobody else. Health is a wealth, I tell it's vital, try and take care of yourself, health is a wealth, I tell it's vital, you can't rely on nobody else. Health is a wealth, I tell it's vital, try and take care of yourself, health is a
0: wealth. Okay, so for the antidote today, I wanna to kinda of talk about what do we do with this knowledge. The first most basic point I want to say is we can't ignore non human animals as part of our moral calculus. That's to live in denial. They are here. And you, we, us, we are impacting them. We have agency and we need to take some responsibility for our decisions. Right? Non humans are worthy of respect, admiration, and often love. Right? I don't romanticize nature. Right. I don't romanticize everything, but I neither do I romanticize humans. Right. Humans are good, bad and everything in between. And same with the non-human animal world. But many of them deserve our respect and admiration. And even the ones that, you know, if they had their chance would bite our face off. Let's just avoid those and let them eat what they're meant to eat. Right. And yeah, there's parasites and mosquitoes spreading malaria. I'm not saying we shouldn't deal with those. But the animal world as a totality, right, is something that we should be in awe of. These are our family members. These are our cousins, right? And we have to think about our impacts on them. They have lived on this planet for hundreds of millions of years. And maybe one day we'll have the technology to communicate with them. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing if one day we rewilded the whole planet and we brought back all these ecosystems, we had the technology that we could speak with wolves? So instead of hunting them down and torturing them in fucking traps and poisoning them because they're trying to eat the cattle that shouldn't even be there in the first place, that we actually bring them back and we communicate with them? Isn't that a much better world than this toxic mess that we have now? Now, in terms of the practical implications... I'm not saying everyone has to be a vegan, but I will say it's the superior option, right? A plant-based diet is the superior option. It's the best for our planetary health. It's the best for other species, and it's the best for our health. It's scalable. We have the technology. It's easy. It's nutritious, and it tastes delicious. I have never, I've been vegan over 30 years. I never gave up meat or dairy. I evolved to something much better. There is no deprivation in the vegan diet, only abundance, right? But if you don't want to go fully plant-based, if you don't want to move all the way in that direction, there are other ways to ethically get, you know, meat and calories. You can hunt. You know, I respect people who are, you know, expert hunters who can kill a wild animal with one shot, right? They're not getting You know, not shooting them multiple times and having them, you know, bleed out and get tortured. You can kill an animal quickly and cleanly, and then use all of its meat. That's amazing. That's a million times better than going and buying a rack of ribs at Costco. So, you want to hunt? Great. You want to raise your own animals? If you again, if you're not in an urban environment, and slaughter them in the in the in the most ethical way possible, do that. I think shellfish, you know, clams, oysters, mussels. They don't have advanced nervous systems. I don't think they're being tortured, and that's you know that's a non-plant-based protein. Obviously, there's technology for um, for cultivated meat that's starting. There's already restaurants in Singapore, Israel, here in San Francisco too that are selling um, meat that's grown in you know in a brewery-like condition. It's identical to meat. It's grown from from animal cells, and that technology is only going to get better. Right? Also, it's worth noting that leather is really destructive too. There's leather now being made out of cactus, making all different kind of products. You can get you know artificial fake leather that's not from an animal, that looks identical, that even lasts longer. You can use hemp, all kinds of stuff. Right. So the point being here is you need to think about where you're at in this food system and just try to move in a better direction. You don't have to become vegan overnight. You don't have to give up anything. You're moving and evolving to something better, right? You're choosing something better. There's no deprivation here. I want to be clear about that. And the last point I'll note on the plant-based is it's not like it was when I started 30 years ago. There are vegan plant-based options, substitutes for everything that are almost identical or better, right? Obviously, there's the Beyond Burger the Impossible Burger, there's all these amazing ice creams now. Cosmic Bliss is a great one. Ben & Jerry's that are made of coconut milk, almond milk, cashew milk. They taste as good or better. You can get everything. You can get um, cheeses now. Miyoko's cheese. There's sunflower um, nut cheese. you got to try them. Not every brand is amazing. But, you know, there's, there's, there's brands that are incredibly good, right? Obviously, the, the non-dairy milks. There's just a million varieties that are incredible, right? So the point being is it's actually quite simple. It's not, there is no deprivation. You can have it all. You can literally have your cake and eat it too. And that's the beauty. You can live ethically and sustainably and live a very abundant life, right? So the bottom line here before I wrap up is I really just want to implore you all to take these issues seriously and make some changes, right? The road to a moral life starts with the first step. Just make one step. If you are, you know, dependent on the meat and dairy system, say, hey, I'm going to swap out, you know, my dairy milk for a, a non-dairy milk. I'm going to go try a few different brands until I find one. I'm going to swap out my burgers for Beyond Meat and Impossible. You know, I'm going to go and say, I love ice cream. I'm going to go buy Cosmic Bliss and I'm going to switch or a Ben and Jerry's. Just make that first step. And by the way, if any of you want advice, again, I've been vegan over 30 years Happy to help you all. You can just email me on the website and I'll set up a little consult, everything for free. And I'll walk you through all the amazing vegan products and tell you how to do it because it's a, it's a life of abundance. That's the, that's the biggest lie is that somehow it's some deprivation. You're giving stuffing up. It's the opposite of the truth. Going vegan was the best decision I ever made and I live way more abundantly. I eat better than anybody else on this planet or at least as well. There's nobody who eats better than me on this entire planet, and all of you can be living like that if you take the time. So with that, everybody, I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you are, please share it with family, friends, and colleagues. Rate it. Subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and with that, everybody, take care. Uh, Be safe. Stay well.